listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. A few weeks ago, I was in Colorado celebrating my, my brother's birthday. His name is Fat Matt. You can follow him on Instagram. He'd appreciate that. At Fat Matt 12, that's P H A T T M A T T 1 2. So make sure you go hit him up. I was celebrating his 30th birthday, and the last day that I was there, we actually went snowmobiling. Anybody ever been snowmobiling before? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, I mean, probably the greatest experience of my life. I loved it. So we're out there, there was a storm coming in to the area, and so we jump on these snowmobiles. I've never done this before. It's me and Fat, and then our guide, Mario. And so we hop on these snowmobiles, and we start going around, and we do like some training sessions, that kind of thing. And Mario says, now listen, some of this snow is incredibly deep. Now, I'm, I've lived most of my life in Georgia, uh, lived in Africa, California, but I've never, so I've never really seen tons of deep snow like that. It was crazy. And so he said, it's just, it's incredibly deep. So if you start feeling your snowmobile start to give, you know, like off of a cliff, he says, don't stop. He says, hit the gas, keep going through it, because otherwise you're going to keep sliding. So he, he keeps turning around, making sure we're not stopping. And uh, so some of these spots are just, I mean, just, it's, it's wild, beautiful. We're out there through the trees. We rode all the way up this mountain. We got to 14,000 feet. And I told you the storm was coming in. Now the base is like 15 degrees which is really cold. At the top of the mountain, we couldn't see anything. I know that me and Fat and Mario were sitting there side by side just because I could almost hear their voices, but the wind and the snow was blowing so hard that I could not see them a matter of feet away from me. And I said, how cold is it? He said, it's 20 below. And I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, my face mask is just frozen over. I'm trying to break the, the ice with my tongue as I'm riding around, just like humming old hymns, thinking I'm about to be in glory. Uh, but the one thing I kept thinking when I couldn't see anything coming down off this mountain, and that was just like the top 1,000 feet, you know, were crazy. Other than that, it was fantastic. But I just kept thinking, all right, don't quit. And we're going down these, down these you know, trails. And if, if you get lost, nobody in the world knows where you I mean, we didn't see anybody else out there, middle of nowhere. And so uh, I just remember, though, you're going down these, and every now and then you kind of feel, oh, don't quit, pull that, go, hit the gas. Towards the end, Mario said, hey, I don't normally take folks down this, this, one, um, this one area. He said, but if y'all want to be a little adventurous, I'm like a little adventurous. Like, I felt like I was about to die for the past three hours. He said, are y'all cool with that? I said, we said, absolutely, absolutely we are. Because, I mean, the IQ between us both, you know, is probably, you know, not even triple digits. And so, yeah, let's do it, you know. Um, nothing to lose besides wife and kids. So uh, we're like, yeah. So Mario said, now listen, don't stop. When, whenever you see this, don't hit the brake. And we said, yes, sir, <laughs> you know. So we're riding along. We get about to where we're going. And Mario, he goes like this. He's like, because, you know, we can't really hear each other. We're on snowmobiles. He, go, he goes like this. Next thing you know, he disappears. I'm like, oh, well, glory. It's been fun, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I said, a couple quick Hail Marys, and uh, I, was, uh, I was just like, all right, here we go. Uh, and so next thing, so Matt goes over next, 
And uh, he, he, start, he tries to look, boom, he's gone. So I'm just like, oh, man, you know, boom, boom. I go up, and I start to look over the edge of this cliff. And I go to look down. I'm like, whoa, can't look down. I'm gone. And the whole time, all the way straight down like this, just shaking, I think, don't hit the brakes. Keep going. Don't hit the brakes. At the bottom, there's a, a lake that's iced over. He said, at the bottom, make sure you turn real hard so you don't end up in the lake. I'm like, yeah, got it. So I'm going down this thing at, I don't know, 420 mock something. And uh, I'm, I'm going down, shaking at the bottom. I cut it real hard. He says, don't stop, don't stop. And so we keep giving the gas because the snow is incredibly deep. We turn around and look, and this cliff is 150, 175 feet tall. And it's just, I mean, like this. And he said, congratulations, you just came down a triple black diamond. And I was just like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> um, so uh, we finally get back and had to change my pants. <laughs> um, so there's only, that's the only way you can stay warm out there. And plus that hill is crazy. So we go back, but I, I, the whole time I just kept hearing his voice over and over, don't stop. That's going to be your instinct. Whoa, let off. Whoa, it's good. things are going to get a little dicey. I don't know. I don't want to control the future. I can't tell what's about to happen. I want to hit the brake. He says, no, hit the gas. When we see this passage here this morning, and it's a really tough passage. It's really tough. We see Jesus right here. So to catch up real quick, we're created in the image of God. Genesis 1 and 2, chapter 3, we sin. We're messed up. All through the Old Testament, God sets up the sacrificial system, looking forward to Jesus coming and satisfying that debt that we owe. Jesus hits the scene. We have this in the New Testament. Through the Gospels, we have foretellings of the same story. So we're here in the book of Luke, and we've walked from chapter 1 and verse 1 as Luke has written this to Theophilus. Now we have uh, in chapter 9 and verse 51, Jesus said, I've turned my face toward Jerusalem. So right, right here is the last few months of Jesus' life. We're right here leading up to the cross. And Jesus says, let me tell you something. When life gets tough, don't quit. If you call yourself my disciple, don't quit. When you want to hit the brake or when you want to let off the gas, or when it seems natural, don't quit. That's what I want us to see. Walk away with this morning. That's it. This is a really tough passage. You're like, yeah, man, I feel like you say that every other week. I know. I wish I could just preach on some other stuff, but I can't. We, we, we just got to preach on the Bible. That's all we've got. And I love it. And it hurts. But we're not going to quit. So may this be our prayer this morning from Psalm chapter 119. Repeat these words after me. Open my eyes, Open my eyes. that I might receive God's wonderful word to me. Amen. That's our prayer. So we pick up in chapter 14 and verse number 25, 11 simple verses. But we notice there in the very first verse, and Pastor Caleb just read this to us, the first thing I want us to see from these first three verses is don't quit. This is an incredibly creative sermon, I promise you. He says, verse number 25, now great crowds accompanied him. Now Jesus was incredibly popular. He had thousands of people following him around. The problem with Jesus is that he wasn't a very good salesman. In fact, he was terrible. He was a terrible salesman. You would think if we had great crowds, we'd be like, yeah, let, let me keep these crowds coming. But notice what Jesus does. He turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother, if anyone does not hate his family, you can't come and be my disciple. It's like, Jesus, this isn't how you keep people. This isn't how you keep the, this is not how you encourage, this is not a very, very happy sermon. Jesus says, I'm not worried about that. 
folks are going, you're thinking, okay, does he actually mean hate or is there something else there in the Greek? And, and there's something a little more. It's not you have to turn and hate your mom and dad. I hate your, no, it's a comparison here. And I think this verse, if anything, is more about Christology. He's saying me compared to everything else is greater. It's better. So this word hate is more of a comparison. So it's, it's like if you say I love my pet unless you have a cat, in which case you're waiting for it to die so you can get a real pet. You say, I love my, my pet and I love my children. You don't love your pet as much as you love your child. There's a comparison there. You don't say, no, I hate my pet, unless it's a cat. I hate my pet because I love my kid. You can love both, but if it comes down, you probably love your kid more. I know some of y'all's kids, so you can't hold me to this, okay? I don't want to read too far into this passage. He says, but unless you hate them. Now, the culture will say this. The culture says your number one priority should be your family. Your number one priority should be sports. Your number one priority should be success. Your number one priority should be the way that you want to build and design and deform your life. And what our Christian culture has said is we also want the path of least resistance into the kingdom. So that's what the culture says. Notice what Jesus says, though. He says in verse number 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple? This image of the cross is one of self-denial. It's one of certain death. It's a one-way, literally a one-way street to death that only the condemned walked on. Now, this first century audience would be familiar because they were about to be persecuted by Nero. After Nero came Vespasian, after him came Domitian. And what these rulers did is they would not just kill Christians for celebrating communion, but what they would do is they would light them on fire. They would put them on a cross. They would crucify them, and then they would line up the road with their bodies. They'd stick them in some sort of pitch or tar, and they would light them on fire to light up the city. So when this audience heard this, when Theophilus heard these words from Luke, he's not like, oh yeah, take up your cross, the gold one on your necklace. No, he knows this means certain death. These believers were being put into the Colosseum with animals and their bodies being torn apart. Now we sit and we sing, man, Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you that your blood was applied to me and thank you that I don't have to go through that. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, you must bear your cross. Jesus says, you cannot follow him unless you are willing to be treated like he was. That's what Jesus says. Unless you are ridiculed by the religious, unless you're betrayed by Judas, unless you're crucified by the crowds, unless you're abandoned by your disciples, he was even forsaken by the Father. And he says, unless you want to experience that, you cannot come after me. You cannot be my disciple. For some of us, we're like, this isn't the kind of Jesus that I've been taught before. Can we get to the happier parts where Jesus, I just ask him into my heart and he makes my life better, he makes my life easier? I don't really like this Jesus. Is there, is there a next chapter? What's chapter 15? That would, listen, if you've been taught a different Jesus, don't get mad at me, don't get mad at the Bible, don't get mad at Jesus. 
Be mad at whoever lied to you about what it means to follow Jesus. Amen? And that's really tough. That's really tough. I say that in empathy. That's really tough. But you see, salvation, it costs you nothing. 100%, salvation costs you nothing. But discipleship costs you everything. Salvation is done by God for you, but discipleship is done with God, with you. Salvation happens in an instant, once and forever, but discipleship is going to take a lifetime. Salvation costs nothing, but discipleship is going to cost you everything. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's like a bride who really likes the idea of a wedding, but doesn't really like the idea of marriage. And some of y'all are like, amen, I've been <laughs> married for 25, you know, I can't, nah, yeah, the wedding was awesome. But just imagine if you're about to get married and you said, hey, groom, I really like the wedding, but I don't know if this is really going to work out. Just so you know, but I'll be honest with you, I look great in white. I love having my picture taken. Some of my favorite flowers are these. I love to throw a party. I love for everyone to listen to me and talk about me behind my back. I love that. I, I, I love to dance. I love the idea of a wedding but I don't really know if I like the idea of marriage. You see, having a wedding is really easy, but staying married for 50 years is really difficult. Jesus says, yeah, salvation, if you're just saying, ah, I'm just looking back to my salvation, he says, no, take up your cross every day and follow me. That's what it means to be a disciple, not simply make a decision. People of God, don't quit. Second point, similar to the first, don't quit. Verse number 28, he, and he asks these questions in verse 28, and then we see it in verse number 31. He asks these questions to, to basically highlight the absurdity of anyone agreeing with their conclusion. He's like, he, it's, it's a bit of sarcasm here. So if you didn't like Jesus at first and you don't appreciate sarcasm, sorry. Verse 28, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. He's saying, if you start a tower but you can't finish it, you're going to be the butt of the joke for your family, your friends, the community. They're going to, What? They say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Like, what's wrong with you? A couple hundred years ago, there were these missionaries that were sent out from America, and they were, they were actually called one-way missionaries. And here's why. It's because they would pack all of their belongings in coffins and send them overseas with them because those missionaries were prepared to die wherever they were going. And there was a story of this one man, true story, almost right at 200 years ago. His name was James Calvert. And he was going to work with the indigenous people uh, in the Fiji Islands. And he gets on the ship, and him and his family, they started going across there. And when they were almost there, the ship captain said, Sir, this is a terrible idea. You are certainly going to die. James looked back and then said, Sir, we were dead when we left. Jesus is saying here, 
You think that you can have life here? And you can have life in eternity? But you've got to die somewhere. He says, this is what it means to take up your cross. We don't take up the cross in eternity. We're forever blessed in eternity. The culture says, have the best of both worlds now. Jesus says, no, surrender the immediate for the eternal. I, I can't help but think when, when I consider this man who, doesn't, who didn't count the cost. I can't help but in my 37 years of life, growing, growing up as a preacher's kid, and then just even in the past 15 years of South Point's history, of considering those who I've known that have come through our doors who have quit repenting, who have quit confessing, who have quit serving or giving or seeking or asking or attending, who have quit their kids and their families, who have quit on their Savior. Friends, none of those folks are happy now. None of those folks are leaving a godly legacy, and none of them will be in the kingdom. My warning to you this morning is don't quit. Don't quit. Jesus tells a second parable here, verse number 31. Maybe you can guess the point of this. Yeah, don't quit. Verse number 31. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? He's saying, if, if these are the odds, you may want to send a delegation of peace. And that's what he says in verse number 32. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Jesus is saying, man, we're at war. He says, consider that cost before you commit to being my disciple. We are in a war. Don't get halfway into building a tower and say, you know what? I didn't know following Jesus was going to be like this. Can I, can I still get into heaven? Okay. Well, I'm going to go live my... No. He says, no, that's not, that's not what it means to follow me. That's not what it means to be my disciple. In the second, third, fourth centuries... Uh, the Galatians were actually known for the way that they battled, for the way that they fought. And in that area of modern-day Turkey, a lot of fighting was happening then. But the way that they fought is they would actually take their families to battle with them. And their families would stay in homes and in shacks and in tents behind the battle area. And every morning, the men would wake up and kiss their wife and kiss their kids goodbye and then go into battle hoping that they would see them that night. It was a constant reminder that if we win, I get to come back home to my family. But if I lose, my wife and my kids and everything that I possess is going to take on the name of a different man. It was a constant reminder to don't quit. Keep fighting. For a lot of us, you say, man, I'm just, I'm just so tired. I don't want to keep fighting. I, you don't understand. I, I, don't, I don't have what, man, I'm just, I'm just swamped. I don't have the capacity. But at the same time, let me tell you about the most recent series that I watched on Netflix. It was incredible. I, I don't have time to read my Bible, but I just binged 17 hours of three different shows yesterday. And it was amazing. God, I'm so tired. 
God, you're talking about fighting. I'm just like, man, I spent all my time playing video games. And we love those stories. We love the stories of, of victory and someone winning or winning the princess's heart. That's what our kids' shows are about. Those are the shows that we watch. We love these stories of victory, of fighting to the death. We love them. We love playing video games about these things. I mean, even yesterday, Kingston introduced me to this game um, called Boomerang Foo, and I loved beating him. Like, it was just amazing. He's seven. <laughs> he beat me the third time, finally. Uh, but, but it was great. I loved that idea of victory. But men, get off of the couch. Stop being in this fight with your thumbs. Stop trying to defeat the enemy that you see on the screen. Stop watching someone else win a war that is fake and fight for the souls of your family, of your wife, of your husband, of your kids, of your neighbors, of those right here in this room. Fight. I tell my kids all the time, delayed obedience is disobedience. And many of us have this sinful hesitation about us. I'm going to start obeying whenever this happens. For some, you're in high school. I'm going to start obeying in college. For some, you're in your seventh or eighth year of college, and you're like, once I finally graduate. For some, you're like, I gotta, I'm gonna, once I get through with college, I'm going to get a job. Once I get a job, then I'm going to start being obedient. Once, okay, I've got a job. Once I get a wife, now I'm going to be obedient. Once now I've got a wife, once I have kids, then I'm going to be obedient. Friends, Jesus says you don't know what tomorrow looks like. Obey today. Delayed obedience is disobedience. What if I told my, again, marriage, what if I was going to be married to Shannon? She's in the kids' area this morning, uh, but she'll watch this later, so I'm still going to be careful. Uh, so uh, she is my, uh, my conscience, my, my filter. So, but let's say we were going to get married, and maybe parts of this happened, maybe they didn't. But if I said, I said, Shannon, I really want to marry you. Will you commit to marrying me? She said, Yes, I would love to for all of the obvious reasons. I said, awesome, let's get married August 11th, 2007, which we did. And I, but I said, you know what? I've got a few months. I'm going to go play the field just to make sure I really want to marry you. But I, just stay right here. Stay committed to me. I'm going to go over here, but I'll be back, I promise. August 11th, don't forget, see you then. You're like... Nah, <laughs> nah. But friends, do we do that in our spiritual lives? Are we delaying obedience? Jesus, you're going to take me to heaven, right? Right? We're good? We're good on that date. Whenever I die, we're good? All right, see you there. Where are we hesitating in our obedience to follow him? I want us to be a church who are like the, I think it's the conquistadors. I should have looked this up. Like the conquistadors who, when they, when they came to this continent, they, they took the boats and they put them on shore. Then they turned around and they lit the ships on fire because there was no turning back. They were completely committed. They could not quit. Friends, we will be a church that is going to light the fire. We are going to fight for each other. Lay down your regrets. Put down your excuses. Fight for the souls of my family. Fight for the souls of the folks who are sitting right beside you. Fight for your soul. Don't 
quit. And then Jesus says this in verse number 33. Surprisingly, he says it again. Don't quit. Verse 33, he says, so. In other words, he's saying, to summarize what I've been saying, it's almost uh, there in the Greek, it's a, a therefore. Therefore. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What does that mean, man? Are we, we going to bring our, you know, back in the 90s, we took all of our rock and roll uh, CDs and we burned them, you know? Are we going to go to all of our homes and, and burn our homes and say, no, nah, no, nah, we love Jesus? Here's what it means. Is that if Jesus demands that of you, if he demands that of you, then you're required to say yes. Now, I found this. Um, anybody know what a blank check is? Maybe had a blank check. You ever found? I had to, for the millennials. I had to go. You'll see this in a museum one day. But uh, this is a check. Um, I actually made it out to Jesus Christ. So if you try to find this in the in the memo four line, I put cost of discipleship. I thought it was clever. But it does have today's date on it. So you've got ninety days, Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, but Jesus says. Well, back in, back in the day, my in-laws still do this. They'll be like, hey, can you write me a check? I'm like, can I do it from my phone? Like, please, I hate checks. Who does checks anymore? But a blank check says, hey, I'm going to make this out to you, but you fill in the amount, right? And whatever amount you fill in, I'm trusting you for it to be the right amount. Jesus says, you give me a blank check. You're not the one who writes the amount in. He is. And whatever amount he says, your answer is yes. Your answer is yes. Here's what we like to do. We like to give him a gift card. Like when you first get saved, you're like, all right, Jesus, I'll give you a little bit. Here's a $5 Dunkin' Donuts gift card. Not even Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts. He says, you say, okay, well, here's a $5 Dunkin' Donuts gift card. And here's what sanctification looks like. It looks like, oh, you know what? I just upgraded to a $25 Carabas gift card. You're like, all right, Jesus, you can have $25, but once you get to that, you got to pay for your own appetizers. You got you to cover the cost of the tip. All right, here you go, Jesus. That's yours, right? But Jesus says, that's not what it means to follow me. We're not the ones who put the limit or the demands on him. He says, you give me a blank check. This is all that he demands. And by the way, that is all that he is going to take. So lest you think, maybe he'll make an exception for this, or let me just try this first. He says, no, I want everything. Unless you're willing to renounce all that you have. So we must be willing to both lay down our comfort and also lay down our preferences. So this means the things that we have that we hold on so tightly to. May we be a church who is willing to let go of those things, to use those things, those resources, those gifts, our time, our possessions for the sake of the kingdom. But also may we be fighting against those things that so easily entangle us. Areas of lust or materialism or lying. I mean, it's tax season, right? Or pride or selfishness. 
Jesus saying, lay down those things. Renounce all that you have. Renounce all of your idols. Friends, don't quit. Jesus has one more almost parable here. He says in verse number 34, he says, salt is good. Man, I love salt. I love it. I, I love Moe's, except with Chris Brown. But whenever I go to Moe's, I'm like, man, give me some salt. I need my sodium level. I bet it's super low. You know, my blood pressure is probably 140 over 110 the days I leave Moe's, but I just love salt so much. So amen, salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? He's saying, can you restore saltiness to salt? Anybody ever tried? No, because you can't do it. The way that they would get salt is not so much from the sea and boiling the water out. The way they would get salt is from marshes. And they would go gather from these salt fields near these marshes. And so the salt they got was already contaminated by a lot of different things. And they had to purify it. So it was really easy for it to lose its saltiness. But once it has, what is there left to be done with it? Nothing. Jesus says, and it is no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Once salt has lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing. Nothing. It's not even good to put out in the fields. He's saying once you have lost your saltiness, once you have said, yeah, I'll commit to you, but then you turn around, you're like, you know what, Jesus, never mind. He says, I have no use for you. You're even going to ruin manure. His word's not mine. He says, so take up the cross. Here's what we do so often. He says, and this is, this is real salt. This is good salt from Hardy's this morning. He says, be real good salt. He said, this, may this be your life. He says, here's, here's what I'm asking you to do, to surrender your life. That's it. It doesn't take a ton. He says, all I want is your life. That's it. I'm not asking you to, to go to the ends of the earth. I'm not asking you to, to, to pay penance. He's saying, trust in me. Trust in me. Follow me. Obey me. Now, that may take you to the ends of the earth. He says, but be a man or a woman that has taste. And here's what we do, friends. This is bad salt. This is salt that's lost its flavor. Just go with me on this one. This is salt that's lost its flavor. And here's what we do. We say, you know what? Here's what Christ has called me to, to being obedient. But you know what? That pile looks kind of small. And maybe people won't see my obedience the way they should see my obedience. Maybe people aren't going to see the time that I'm spending reading my Bible or in prayer. Maybe people aren't going to see how well I treat my wife. Maybe people aren't going to see how the Spirit is leading and guiding me. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to add some flavorless salt to the top. And then people can say, man, look at how big his pile is. You're like, man, yeah. Let me tell you what I used to, I went to seminary. I know a lot of good theology. I used to be in this church that did this. Man, and we walk around, we're like, man, look at this. Look at my gifts. Everybody notice how big my pile is? Like, my pile is awesome. My pile is way bigger than your pile. 
Look at that pile. That's a real small pile. Everybody look at my pile. Now, who's Jesus speaking to here in this passage? Pharisees, hypocrites, the most religious. And we see it at the very beginning of chapter 15 and verse number one. We see that the sinners, those who are far from God, the prostitutes, the tax collectors are leaning in. And what are the most religious people who have the biggest piles? What are they doing? They're getting mad. Jesus is saying, don't, don't say, yeah, I commit my life to you. Yeah, Jesus, I want to follow you until things get hard. And then, uh, that is flavorless, friends. That is flavorless. Stop worrying about having the perfect ecclesiology. Wow, I don't know about, stop. South Point is not a country club. That's why we ask you to partner with us, not to become a member. We're partnering in the mission of Jesus Christ. So stop complaining about the, the, the music preference until, until your heart is broken over the sin in this room and in our community. Stop gossiping about your preferences until you've evangelized all of your neighbors with the good news of Jesus Christ. You like to talk? Start there. Stop saying that you are a committed disciple of Jesus Christ until you are giving sacrificially, until you are committed to community, until you are making disciples. It is flavorless. It is kingdomless. It is Christless. He says, don't quit. Fight. Stay in this. You're like, yeah, but what if people don't respond to that? What if they leave? Yeah, what if they do? What if they crucify you? Did you miss verses 34, 35, and 36? What if they put you to death? It's better than having a big old pile of flavorless salt. So friends, don't quit. We see this right there at the end of verse number 35. He says to the person who has ears to hear, let him hear. Beloved, this is an invitation for your life to matter. This is an invitation for your life to matter. You see, hard words produce soft people. May that be us. And soft words produce hard people. So Jesus' words right here are really hard because our hearts are so hardened. Our hearts are like that soil we saw uh, back in chapter 8, chapter 9, Man, my heart is so hard to the things of the kingdom because the sunlight from all these idols that I'm looking to, to bring life, is shining on it. And the seed of God's word so often cannot penetrate. So may our hearts be softened. You see, Jesus can heal. We've seen that. Jesus can restore marriages. Jesus can redeem. Jesus can bless your finances. But what if he does not do those things? Are you following him for comfort or for the cross? Is having Jesus Christ enough for you in the midst of a terrible life? No matter how bad life is, is Jesus Christ good enough for you? And if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, yeah, I'm on the fence about whether I want to follow Jesus or not. Or you're like, man, have I followed Jesus or have I not? If you follow Jesus for an easier life, 
know this morning that that's not the Jesus of the word. And if you're thinking, ah, I'm kind of on the fence. Preacher, can you convince me? Do you want an easier life? Do you want a better life? If your answer is yes, I would say don't follow Jesus. Do not follow Jesus. But following Jesus means that we accept his mission. You're like, man, this is, this is a real downer of a, of a sermon. I'm like, yeah, this is a real downer of a week. But we follow him to the very end. Jesus lived for us the perfect life that we were designed to live. And he died for us the death that because of our sin, we deserve to die. He took the wrath of God the Father on himself. He was put in the ground, and then three days later, he rose victorious. Is that sweet in our mouths this morning? Or is that even maybe kind of flavorless? He walked for 40 days. And then three of the Gospels record this, and, and Luke, Luke has this in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. Is Jesus is ascending up into heaven. What does Jesus do? He says, go, be my disciples. This mission is going to continue. We call it the Great Commission. 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this uh, in verse number 9. You don't have to turn there with me if you don't want to, but it says this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. He's 2,000 years patient toward you. Then he says this. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That is our mission, to take the good news of what Jesus Christ has done and say he is better than anything that this world has to offer. Stop pursuing these things. Pursue the cross. Pursue death in this world so we can have life forever with him. Friends, we have an incredible opportunity all around us. Henry, I was looking at the numbers uh, just last night. Henry County is growing by leaps and bounds. McDonough is growing by the tens of thousands, and I, I realize traffic stinks. I, I get it. I drive with y'all. But what's crazy is the same people who complain about traffic are the same folks who work from home, right? And so it's like, when are you sitting in traffic? When are you going to the restaurant? When are you going shopping? That's for a different day. I realize that, like, it, it kind of stinks all these people moving in. I like my space, you know, put my elbows out. Like, I get that. I'm good with that. But at the same time, we have people who are coming to our back door over 26,000 cars, not people, cars a day drive by this building. They see this. They're like, man, that's a, that's a church. We have people coming in. We have babies being born. There was a report I got a couple weeks ago from the biggest questions that people are asking within a three-mile radius of here. Crazy amount of money went into this survey that was done, uh, and I got a, a free copy of it, which was amazing. But people are looking, they're longing. We see this in our culture, just pull up the news feed on your phone. They're longing, looking for hope, for meaning, for satisfaction, for significance, for life. And we have the opportunity to point them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. We get to be made one with the Trinity. You're like, what's the point of not quitting? What's the point of sacrificing all of these really good things? What's the point of loving Jesus more than my family, than everything else? You get Jesus. And he's better than anything else that the world has to offer. Amen? 
And if you have him, no matter what this world offers, no matter what life throws at you, you get Jesus today, tomorrow, next week, and for all of eternity. And that's the invitation, not into a better life, but into eternal life. The point that Jesus is making here, he says, to count the cost. Jesus doesn't say, hey, count the cost and then turn away if you think it's too costly. He says, count the cost and commit to me because I am worth it. Friends, don't quit. Don't quit. He promises to send the power of his spirit to bring new life, to give you new eyes. I remember when I was... 15, 16, whenever I took driver's ed, my very first car was a 64 Cadillac. And uh, it was longer than a church van. Like we parked it right beside it. 64, it was gold, Fleetwood. It was gorgeous. It was in some different movies. And uh, I remember I was, like, I was like, man, how am I going to take driver's ed with this boat? V8, had a cracked manifold, so it sounded awesome, <laughs> even though it was about to, you know, they had just redone the interior. It was amazing. But I remember so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to try to drive this thing for driver's ed. Thankfully, the driver's ed teacher pulled up, and he had a Ford Taurus. And I was like, this is not going to be as fun, <laughs> you know? So we were getting in this Ford Taurus, though, and there's a reason we took his car and not my 64 Cadillac. That's because on his side, he had a brake pedal, right? Remember that, taking driver's ed, and he had a brake pedal over there? Because I was only 15, 16 years old. Why would you put me behind the wheel of a car when you don't have a brake pedal? It only makes sense. I'm 37 years old, and my wife... She, she has one over there sometimes. <laughs> I was free to drive, free to hit the gas, free to hit the brake, free to do whatever I wanted to in that Ford Taurus. But at any point, Larry, or whatever his name was, he could hit the brake pedal and bring that car to a complete stop, and I couldn't do anything. For many of us, we've put Jesus in the driver's seat. We've said, Jesus, take the wheel, <laughs> you know? Take it away. You've got it. You have control of my life. But we keep this brake pedal over here so we can say, whoa, that's a little too much. Whoa. I didn't think you were going to call me to surrender. Whoa. I didn't think the commitment was going to be that strong. And we keep that brake pedal over there. So, friends, what part of your life are you hitting that brake when it comes to surrender or commitment? Or are you a fully formed disciple of Jesus Christ, surrendered in every way to him. He is worth it. He is worth it. If you're broke, if your marriage doesn't last, if your kids don't respect you, if we have a recession and depression and if somebody doesn't win the White House and if somebody does, and man, Jesus is worth it. He provides that for himself through his sacrifice on the cross. And he asks you to place your faith and your hope in him and him only. We eat this meal to remember the broken body of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed there in the juice. This is for believers who have committed to him. And here's what I want you to do this morning is as you taste the bread and the juice, literally, tangibly there in your mouth, I want you to repent of the tragedy, of on Sundays saying Hosanna with your mouth. 
And then during the week, when it comes to your preferences, saying, crucify him. May it not be so. May we be crucifying our preferences and our flesh and our lust. May we be crucifying our ideas of who God is. Yeah, so this is a chance for us to identify with him in death. Death to the things of this world. And to identify with him in life as those who have been redeemed and bought back. This is a weekly, tangible, physical reminder that we are not to quit. Church, don't quit.